John Mason. Friends, for you, those who do not know John and Judith, um, it's a delight to introduce you. So, Emmanuel, say, uh, hi, John. John. Good morning. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, um, John, uh, you, when did you move? Okay, you are originally from what city? A place called Sydney in Australia. In Australia. So that's, a, that's an island some distance from here, right? It is an island. Yes. And indeed, it's across the Pacific. Yes, right. Fantastic. And a little down under. Right, right. Okay, we're zeroing in. Now, when, now you came, how many years did you spend in New York City, and what year did you, did you come? We arrived at the beginning of 2001. In fact, to be precise, January yeah. 29, 2021. Right. Uh, 2001. And we've been around the city uh, full-time until the end of 2013. Mm. Um, and we've been in and out of the city. Chronological enrichment meant that I was passing on the reins of ministry to those who are a little younger. Right, right, right. And, and the Lord used you uh, at, to plant uh, Christ Church, which is up on the Upper East Side, and Emmanuel, which is here. Um, one of the great things, friends, is uh, in the ministry of the gospel, uh, the Lord is constantly handing on the gospel uh, one to another. And uh, John, uh, I want to honor you in your faithful handing on of the gospel. And you do that all the time. Uh, and tell us one of the ways, so you're involved with something called uh, the Anglican Connection now, and you're kind of on tour right now. You kind of go all, every now and then it seems like you go on tour around the U.S. Tell us uh, what you do with Anglican Connection and how you're handing on the gospel again and again. Well, first of all, thank you very much for your kind words, Jim. Uh, it's by the grace of God that uh, God's work gets done. And uh, yes, we did uh, establish uh, Christ, what is now Christchurch, New York City, on the Upper East Side. And February 2010, uh, we set up what is now, uh, well, we set up the West Village Church, mm -hmm. which in 2016 became Emmanuel Anglican Church, New York City. Uh, my work now um, takes me as uh, President Chairman of the Anglican Connection here in North America, uh, to various cities, various churches. And we are keen to develop networks of ministries that uh, where ministers and churches can support one another in the gospel cause. Um, God is passionate about getting his good news out. Why? Because he is keen to rescue and reinstate lost humanity into their true relationship with him. So we endeavor, by his grace, through his spirit, to do his work. Fantastic. And um, we're delighted you're going to be preaching here in just a second. But um, I want to pray. Um, but it, it just pops into my mind. If there was somebody here who's thinking, you know what? I'm, I, can I really trust that God's faithful? And can I really trust that God's faithful in the long haul? And can I really trust his word? Would you be all right if that person chatted with you after the service? 
I'd be very happy to have any kind of conversation after the service. Fantastic. Over, over this famous lunch. Yes, which we are smelling at the moment, happily. All right, friends, let's, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much uh, that in every, uh, in every city around the world, in every uh, nation, and in every generation, you are, um, you are calling people to yourself, building them up, using them to proclaim your gospel to others. And Father, we thank you for the way you've used uh, John and Judith to do that and how, uh, what, and, and how we are beneficiaries of that ministry. Uh, strengthen John and Judith uh, in the ministry that you've called them to. And we pray that today you would uh, awaken us uh, to what you're saying through your word uh, and empower us by your spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's read the Bible. A reading from Luke 1, 39 through 56. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of our Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Uh, Luke chapter 1, 57 to 80. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tab tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And, he fear and fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard him, uh, and all who heard them laid their hands, they laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? 
for the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to, remain, to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give us light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace, into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. The Gospel of the Lord. Please stand. And as we prepare to hear God's word in greater detail, we entrust ourselves to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as we say together, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life of the last. Amen. Almighty Father, will you open our minds and our hearts uh, to hear your word, and will you show us Jesus? And in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning again. It's great to be here. And thank you very much indeed, Jim, for the invitation to be here with you and to speak. So as you could see, we've got quite a lengthy text from Luke chapter 1. That's been the challenge that... Uh, one Jim Saladin has put on my plate. So you might like to go back to page nine uh, where we're going to be picking up a few thoughts from the reading as it flows. Commenting on his pre-Christian frame of mind in his book, Surprised by Joy, C.S. Lewis wrote, what it mattered most of all was my deep-seated hatred of authority my monstrous individualism, my lawlessness. No word in my vocabulary expressed deeper hatred than the word interference, and he wrote it in capitals. But Christianity placed at the center what then seemed to me a transcendental interferer. If its picture were true, then no sort of treaty with reality 
could ever be possible. There was no region, even in the innermost depths of one's soul, nay, there least of all, which one could surround with a barbed wire fence and guard with a notice, no admittance. And that was what I wanted. Some area, however small, of which I could say to all other beings, this is my business and mine only. Well, let's consider this morning whether God is a transcendental interferer and if so, what kind of interferer he might be. So come with me to this reading from Luke chapter 1. It takes us to three scenes that follow the angelic announcement to Mary that she would give birth to a son. Her baby, the angel Gabriel had said, was to be called Jesus. He would be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. At the time, Mary was engaged to Joseph and she had asked the angel how she, a virgin, could conceive and give birth. Well, the three scenes that unfold here help us answer the question about divine interference. The first scene brings together the two women who were to play important roles in the upcoming events, Mary and Elizabeth. Just look at verse 39. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now, in greeting Elizabeth, Mary would have told her all that the angel had said to her. And look at verse 41. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. Elizabeth, though she was past the recognised childbearing age, was carrying a baby. It was the fulfilment of the announcement in the temple to her husband, Zechariah. She was now six months pregnant. Never let it be said that the unexpected doesn't occur. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth shouted with joy at what this all meant. Blessed is the fruit of your womb, she said to Mary. In her joy, she was also aware of something of the significance of God's miraculous intervention. Just look at verse 45. Blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfilment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Three times in the space of four verses, Elizabeth says to Mary, blessed. Blessed are you among women, verse 42. Blessed is the fruit of your womb, verse 42. And blessed is she who believed what was spoken to her from the Lord, verse 45. Now, we typically think of blessing, God's blessing, in physical terms. Good health, material success, and happiness. 
But consider what blessing means here. Mary was engaged to Joseph and she had to tell him he, she was pregnant. Knowing that he was not the father, Joseph would have had every reason to cancel the marriage. What kind of blessing would that have been? Elizabeth's words in verse 45 are the key. Blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfilment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And later, in the course of his public ministry, Jesus commented, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So spiritual blessing, God's special good provision in our lives, blessing that springs from God's good and supreme purposes, the far, far greater, more lasting, and let me say, far more satisfying than any physical blessing. In blessing Mary, Elizabeth revealed her own confidence that God was committed to fulfilling his promises. And her expression, blessed is she, surely encourages you and me to have the same trust in God's word. And let me touch on that verse 41, I think it is, the leaping mov movement of Elizabeth's unborn baby that Elizabeth had felt with Mary's greeting and her response revealed that God was doing something very special in the lives of these two women. By the way, surely the leaping moment and the movement, Elizabeth six months pregnant, let it never be said that babies in embryo are not human. Now you may be thinking that miracles recorded in this scene didn't happen because we now know the laws of nature. Well, against this kind of thinking, the philosopher and mathematician, Dr. John Lennox says, the laws of nature that science observes are the observable regularities that God the creator has built into his universe. However, such laws don't prevent God from intervening, or C.S. Lewis might say, interfering, if he chooses. When he does, we're able to identify the irregularity and speak of it as a miracle. God's blessings are too wonderful to ignore, but they'll only be understood by those who believe God's word. When miracles such as we find in this scene occur, they reveal a God who not only exists, but who is passionate about working out his good plans for his creation, and not least for those whom he has created in his image. All humanity, all humanity is imago dei, made in the image of God, so blessing, that's the theme of this first scene. Which brings us to a second scene, mercy. Blessed, blessings, and now mercy. Just have a look at verse 38. My soul magnifies the Lord, 
and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, Mary responds. Notice, my soul, my spirit, my Saviour. We can feel the intense personal nature of her words here. She speaks of her awareness of the breathtaking intervention of God in her life. Acknowledging her own lowly position, she's not one of the elite, she speaks of the riches of God's mercy towards her. She is unworthy of God's grace and favour. Knowing that God is mighty and holy, she speaks of God as her saviour. She doesn't see herself as pure and sinless, by the way. Caught up with the wonder of God's love, her eyes are opened to the reality of his amazing love and his perfect justice. For everyone who fears him, verse 50, there's mercy. For everyone who refuses to acknowledge him, there'll be judgment. God will over the overturn the proud, their position, their wealth, their success. Mary is telling us that because of who God is, he is not the transcendental interferer that Lewis feared and we might fear, but a merciful and just judge who will right all wrongs. Just look at her prophetic words as she speaks of God bringing down and scattering the proud, the powerful and the rich who refuse to turn to him. And we see that in verses 51 through 54. So Mary understands God's nature. He shows his mercy to those who fear him. That's the key. He exalts the lowly and fills the hungry with good things. She's actually talking about humility, isn't she? Humility. While aspects of Mary's words were fulfilled in Jesus' ministry, twice he fed a large hungry crowd, the tension of her words remained. For not even after Jesus' death and resurrection do we find Mary's words literally fulfilled and perfectly fulfilled. If Mary's words are true, far greater things are yet to happen. Mary's song ends on the note of fulfilment. What she knew of God, what her own experience now testified, had convinced her that, strange though it may seem, her baby was God coming to earth. God had remembered his promises to Abraham some two millennia before, and he had not forgotten his promise that through Abraham's descendants, all nations would be blessed. So Mary is telling us that God's plans had gone back a very long way. And they were not just for one group of people, but for all the nations. Mary's song introduces the significance of God's interference and themes yet to unfold. Her baby would be the turning point of human history. And that's why the calendar was for a long time set out as 
before Christ, and then after Christ as Anno Domini, in the year of the Lord. Now it's called the Common Era. But still it centers around the life, the death, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The hinge of history. Jesus' birth would bring about an unexpected interface between the supernatural and the natural, the living God and us. God's transcendental interference springs out of his heart of love for men and women whom he has created in his image to know him and to love him and to enjoy him forever. Underlining the still unmarried state of Mary, Luke tells us that she remained with Elizabeth another three months. That is, until the birth of John. And that brings us to a third scene. We've got one, blessings, two, mercy, and now deliverance. Verse 57. Would the amazing angelic pronouncements come to pass? Well, verses 57 through 67 record the first of the two births. Against human experience and wisdom, the aging Elizabeth gave birth. And Luke draws our attention to the joyful occasion it was. The birth not only fulfilled God's promise, but pointed to his active involvement once again in human affairs. And more was to come. What would be the baby's name? Elizabeth said, John. And when the mute Zechariah was asked, he wrote the name, he wrote, his name is John. Now we can only imagine the amazement of everyone, for no one in the family was named John. But the amazement turned to fear, as we see in verse 65, for Zechariah, who had been silent for the last nine months or so, recovered his speech. With his first words, he praised God. What then will this child be, everyone is asking. Luke answers with a record of Zechariah's words that take us from verses 68 through 70. The Song of Zechariah, or Benedictus as it's often called, draws on the power of metaphor and poetry to speak of God's promises and the deliverance of his people. God is to be blessed, that is, thanked for his goodness, Zechariah is, is saying, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us. Redemption and salvation go to the heart of the reason for God's involvement in human affairs. The imagery of the horn is a sign of strength and regal power. God's appointed king would stand at the very centre of his saving action. So echoing the theme of salvation that we find back in Psalm 106, Zechariah spoke of God's deliverance as freedom for his people from, the, from their enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, so that they might serve the Lord 
without fear in holiness and righteousness. Zechariah doesn't identify who the enemies are, but given that this song follows Mary's song, they include the proud, the elite, and the wealthy, who are only interested in their own position and power. As the gospel unfolds, we see that the enemies we all face are self-interest, the powers of evil, and the power of death. No one of us will escape it. The shifting attitudes around us these days see the solution to our problems and the world's problems in political terms. But both Mary and Zechariah know that we have a much deeper problem me, myself, and I. Life, we're told, is about identity. There are no rules, only your own. Zechariah is saying there's more to life. It's about living without fear in holiness and righteousness. That's God's plan, which reveals his astonishing wisdom and love. Because there is a plan for us, and because there are boundaries, we need rescuing from ourselves, our self-interest. It brings to mind Her Late Majesty Queen Elizabeth's Christmas message back in 2011 when she said, Although we are capable of great acts of kindness, history teaches us that we, are, that we sometimes need saving from ourselves, from our recklessness and or our greed. God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, important though they are, but a saviour with a power to forgive. As Zechariah reflected on these great themes of God's del deliverance, answering the cry of Israel, and indeed the cry of the human heart, throughout time, and no doubt the cry of our own hearts. Zechariah understood his son's place in these epoch-making events. Look at verses 76 through 79, where Zechariah focuses on the future ministry of his son. Being a prophet of the Most High, John would prepare men and women for the dawning of a new day in the Lord's purposes. John's birth fulfilled the words we read in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, and Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. John was to prepare for the one who would be known as the Lord. So Zechariah lifts our gaze to greater heights as he says, The day shall dawn on us from on high. This day will come with the one who is the star of Jacob, and a descendant of Jesse, the one coming in person from God himself. He is God's king who will guide the people who live in darkness and in the shadow of death into the way of peace. Friends, our human condition is bleak. It's one of ultimate darkness and death. 
Trapped in a dungeon of self-interest, we experience ignorance and injustice, death and destruction. The imagery of darkness also speaks of, a, of another cosmic dimension we have to contend with, namely the dark, evil, supernatural powers. We won't experience true and lasting peace through our own wisdom, let alone our own efforts. The only hope of peace we have is through God's King, the divine interferer. He alone can lead us into the way of peace. The appearance of two figures, John and Jesus, hold the key. John's work would turn the hearts of men and women back to God, preparing them for the coming of God's Messiah. The second figure, Jesus, greater than John, would bring God's people out of darkness and into the light of God's peace. Their coming is not transcendental interference, but the action of a living God who, in his love, is passionate about rescuing and restoring us to a life of hope and glory, lasting happiness and joy. Life, as we're told today, is about finding ourselves. What we're reading today is telling us that life is not about finding ourselves. Rather, it's about finding the Lord Jesus Christ. It means turning to him who, in his mercy, will deliver us from ourselves so that we might know the deep joy of his blessing and the blessing of his Father, God the Father. So the question I leave with you is this. Do you have this assurance? Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.